If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to open to 1 Kings 19. This is where we were last week. It's where we will be each one of these weeks in this series. All right, uh, we said this. We want to be a church that talks about things uh, that, you know, we want to be a church like an organization, but also a church like a group of people where we talk about things that matter. That matter in your life, that matter in my life, and really make a difference. And so we started a new series called Out of the Cave. And in this series, we are talking about mental health. All right, mental health is just a massive thing that, that everybody really deals with in a different way. And, and we've been looking at the passage uh, and using it as a springboard into this conversation of the story of Elijah. All right, and, and I kind of love this. Last week I was done and, and we were talking about like, oh man, we need to just kind of remove some of the stigmas around mental health and we need to make it easier to talk about. And, and Buster, I, I think it was Buster that said, Pastor Aaron's husband, he was like, well, yeah, I, someone told me this once. Maybe it wasn't you, but you're going to get credit if it wasn't. Um, if you have a brain, you have mental health. And I'm like, that's awesome. I love that. Like, that's a great way of kind of approaching this. And we kind of talked about that last week with it. But uh, I want to jump in. There's a lot that I'm trying to cover today. So uh, if you're able and willing, would you stand with me as we uh, read this passage and just kind of open in prayer? All right, I think this is massive for us. Uh, this is massive for our world. Let's be ready for whatever God would have for us today. So we are in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. God, we pray that this morning as, uh, as we open this up, as we talk about this, Lord, that we would just be uh, so ready and unoffendable, Lord, even this morning. That uh, as we talk about this, maybe we've thought certain ways about this before, but we would be open to to you just kind of changing uh, the way that we think about things, the way we see things. And, and God, we just, we want you to be so present during this time and just uh, speaking and, and moving in each one of our lives. Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Um, I'm not going to go into the backstory of Elijah's story. We did that last week. Uh, I'll say this and I'm going to repeat it several times. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you this week, go back and watch it. There's going to be things that are said today that are kind of referencing last week. I would love, I actually had it in here. I was going to go back and go over some of this stuff, and I just don't have time. Like, we have a lot that I want to kind of get through. Um, but one of the things that I think is important that I want to quickly touch on is, is this is what we kind of talked about when it comes to mental health. We have this idea that there's, there's a gauge, and we can kind of move up and down this gauge uh, of mental health. Okay, and so there's like... Uh, what we had was, and I think Buster, we even have a slide for this. Um, there's this gauge, and there's like a little dot where basically when your mental health is doing better or worse, it will move up or down kind of on this gauge. All right, now then kind of over on the other side of it, uh, we kind of said this idea of like there's a baseline, which is where someone just kind of starts. Okay, like that's where on an average day, this is where you're at. Okay, and then things that are, that are good for your mental health go up or down, and things that are bad go up or down, anything like that. 
All right. Uh, and what we said, though, was this. There's a lot of just habits and things in our life that cause our dot to move up and down. But then there's going to be other things that actually cause our baseline to move. Okay? Now, those things, the baseline stuff, all right, that might be maybe you're living with a mental health disorder. Maybe uh, something along those lines. Maybe you've had something in your past, traumatic, that has kind of uh, impacted you and stuck with you. Okay, maybe there's been other things that have happened where your baseline has kind of moved a little bit. Now, what we are going to be talking about through most of this series is actually the things that, that more so affect the dot on a day-to-day basis. And this is important because I think otherwise, if we don't understand this, it'd be easy to be offended and be like, well, what you're saying doesn't apply to me, or you're making it too simple or easy and things. Now, the baseline things, those are things that right now, what I would say, uh, moving the baseline is something where you're doing that uh, with the help of a professional, with a therapist, uh, with medication, with things along those lines, okay? And that is very real and very important. It just is something that really is, that's not where, um, where we are going in this series because that's not, I'm not able to do that necessarily for you, okay? There are people that can. We have people in our church uh, that are therapists that go through this and they work with people and they're helping people kind of move in different ways, okay? That's not where we are and I just want us to kind of remember and understand this. I am not trying to oversimplify this and just say, well, just change these things in your life and everything's going to be great. Okay, that's not always the case for a lot of us. All right, but whether you are living with a mental health disorder or not, there are things in our life that we do, decisions we make, habits that we have, things that we choose that will impact our mental health as well. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of approach those areas, talk about those areas, and say, okay, what is it that you and I, we can bring to God, we can, we can do different things. The other thing I want to say in there with the baseline is simply, absolutely, God can just give healing. And healing 100% will, will move that baseline for you. And we pray for that for sure. But we also don't want to just rely on one thing or another. Like, so there are things that move that, and we aren't really talking about that a ton. We're talking about this dot moving up and down and some of the things in our life, okay? Are we good with that? I wanted, that was the only thing I wanted to go back from last week and be like, this is important because I don't want anybody just kind of getting offended potentially because of that. So uh, if this series is resonating with you and you want to spend more time digging into the story of Elijah uh, and mental health things, there's a book that is actually called Out of the Cave. We kind of stole its title just for this series. Uh, it's by a pastor, Chris Hodges, uh, Church of the Highlands. Um, and I started kind of like listening through that book, and the reality is I have a lot of things on my list to read and listen to, and, and so I got about a chapter, a chapter and a half into it, and I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to like preach his book anyways, so, uh, but that book is out there. If you're interested in this, I'd encourage you, go find that, uh, read that one as well. But, uh, so we took the title, and, uh, but the, the topic of mental health is so vital to be discussing nowadays, and especially, I think, how it interacts with our spiritual life and our faith. And, and the story of Elijah is this great story of a strong man who goes through a dark season, and he enters into a literal cave in this time, uh, but also, I think, a little bit of a metaphorical cave, okay, and, and it would seem within his mind. So what I want us to do today, and over the next two weeks after this, is we're going to walk through the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, and we are going to look at some of the things that we see in that story that are contributing 
to his struggling mental health. And, and, I, and if we see this, I think we can learn from it and we can learn how to try and move in some healthier directions. All right, so remember, mental health is something everybody has, just like physical health, okay? So if you missed last week, go back, catch that this week. That's on our website. Otherwise, I want to move in, all right? So our passage today, uh, I want to read through this and then basically stop when we hit things uh, that are unhealthy and talk about them a little bit. So uh, I see... There's probably more, but I see six things that kind of jump out at me as I read this. And we're going to hit two of them each one of these three weeks here. Okay? So reading in 1 Kings 19, it says this. uh, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. All right, then it says, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. So the first thing that I want us to focus on, right here in verse 3, uh, it says, Elijah was afraid. All right, so we have fear that is impacting Elijah. Now you might say, uh, you know, he just received a death threat from arguably the most powerful person in the country. I think it might be a little justified to be a little bit worried or scared or afraid in this moment. And now I'm not going to argue uh, with you on that. Uh, I would agree in some ways, but I think we also need to take this in context. Like, remember what just happened. God showed up in a massive way in the story right before this, the story that caused Jezebel to say, I'm going to kill you. Okay, God shows up in this massive, miraculous way, does amazing things through Elijah, uh, and Elijah just got done proving to everyone how powerful God was, and that God was on a lot, now I'm not going to say God was on Elijah's side, but Elijah was on God's side. All right, uh, And in light of that, a little fear, a little concern would be a typical emotional response. That's understandable. But then we, what we should do is we, we take every thought and emotion captive and we bring it back into the light of the God that we serve. And it would seem that Elijah has allowed this thought instead to grow in his mind. This thought of fear is not just like, oh no, like she wants to kill me. It seems to continue to be something that grows in his mind, and he kind of he he sits on it uh, longer. We're going to talk about that that thing later uh, of how we let thoughts just kind of stay in our mind. Uh, but what happens here because he takes off and he actually uh, goes fifty miles. He walks fifty miles from Jezreel to Judah. Okay. And I have like two little arrows here you can kind of see. And this is like, this is the area that Jesus was in. He was up, you know, you can just see the bottom of the Sea of Galilee up top. All right, and then you have the Dead Sea down here. And so he moves from that top red arrow all the way down to the bottom one. All right, that's like, if you, if you took a thought captive and said, you know what, I don't need to be afraid. Like, I think you maybe would have made it about five miles. And you'd be like, this is silly. I don't want to walk another 45 miles. And, and he gets down there 50 miles, and then actually he moves another 40 miles south. So actually this is 90 miles down to Beersheba because he goes 50 miles down through Judah, then to Beersheba. And then after that, he actually travels another day's journey. All right, now fear has quite a grip on him, it would seem. Okay, like this, this distance is like all of a sudden you get scared of something and you take off walking and you walk to Rogers, Minnesota. It's actually a little bit past Rogers, Rogers, I was looking it up, it's like 81 miles. Like, that's a long ways to walk. All right, that's a a long way that he's going here. Now, the thing with fear is, all right, I want to talk about fear. It it isn't a bad thing, okay? Like, if I'm walking through the woods, and I see a bear and her cubs 50 yards away, 
I should have some healthy fear. Okay? Fear is a good thing. I, I should not say, you know what? With God's help, David slayed a lion and he slayed a bear. There's a rock. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to run and just scream at this bear as I run at it. Like, no, that is stupidity. That is, I am, fear is a good thing, okay? At times, fear can be a good thing. Uh, there's this great article on the U of M website talking about the effects of fear on us and on our body. It says, fear is a human emotion that is triggered by a perceived threat. It is a basic survival mechanism that signals our bodies to respond to danger with a fight or flight response. And as such, it is an essential part of keeping us safe. God made us. God made us emotional. Fears is an emotion. I don't think fear in and of itself is a bad thing. It's a natural part of our body. It serves an important purpose at times. Some kids don't have the proper fear in life, okay? Like I used to spend time, more time snowboarding when I had more time. Uh, and I'd be out on the hill and I'm sitting there and I'm like looking at, I was in the train park because I found that to be more fun and you have jumps and different things. And, and I'm looking at whatever I'm trying to do and I'm like psyching myself up. I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But then in the back of my head, it's like, no, you're not. You're going to break your leg. You're going to break your arm. You're going to scrape your face. This is going to happen. You're going to be coming off this hillside on a stretcher. And you're like, yep, that's very possible. And, like, you have this healthy fear that's there. Meanwhile, this nine-year-old next to me goes flying down the hill, doesn't hit the brakes at all, and does exactly what I want to do. And you're like, and they would get so good because they actually didn't have fear. And they would try things and they'd get better at it. But, like, just no fear. Like, fear is a, a good thing at times. All right? Like, listen to this. Fear prepares us to react to danger. Once we sense a potential danger, our body releases hormones. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, okay? That either slow or shut down functions that are not needed for survival, such as your digestive system. Your stomach can take a break from digesting food as you run from a bear. It's like, this is not key right now, okay? It's kind of like, you know, if you watch Star Wars, it's like, all right, all the energy to the shields, all the energy to the engines, get us out, you know, whatever it is. It's like, it shuts down things that are not essential, it also sharpens functions that might help us survive, such as eyesight. Our heart rate increases. Okay, you guys know this. Like when you're afraid, blood flows to muscles so we can run faster. Some of us are like, there's not enough blood in my body to get me to run fast enough. All right. Our body also increases the flow of hormones to an area of the brain known as the amygdala to help us focus on the presenting danger and then to store it like in our memory. All right, but think about this. Think of all those things that happens when we are afraid. These things are good in the short term and in the immediate. In the short term and the immediate, they're good. But imagine if you constantly live in that heightened state, what would it do to your body over a long period of time? Always living like that. Like certain things heightened and other ones basically shut off. Like you could see how if you constantly live in a state of fear, how this will be damaging to you. All right? When people live in constant fear, whether it's from physical dangers in their environment or th threats that they perceive, whether those threats are real or not, they can experience negative impacts in all the areas of their lives uh, and even to the point of just becoming incapacitated. Living under constant threat has serious health consequences, okay? In physical health, fear weakens our immune system and can cause cardiovascular damage, gastrointestinal problems such as ulcers and irritable bowel syndrome and decreased fertility. It can lead to accelerated aging and even premature death. All right, most of us, if we read that on a medication label, we're like, uh, no thanks. 
I'm not taking that. You know, but fear, like, so th this is fear. Uh, it causes things to our memory. Fear can impair formation of long-term memories and cause damage to certain parts of the brain, such as the hippocampus. This can make it even more difficult to regulate fear and can leave a person anxious most of the time. To someone in chronic fear, the world looks scary, and their memories confirm that. Brain processing and reactivity. Fear can interrupt processes in our brains that allows us to regulate emotions and to read nonverbal cues and other information presented to us and, and reflect before acting and to act ethically. This imparts our thinking and decision-making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to intense emotions and impulse, impulsive reactions. All these effects can leave us unable to act appropriately. All right, and this is all from a, from a scholarly article that I'm pulling. You can tell. These are not words that I use. They're, they're too big for me. All right, and mental health. Other consequences of long-term fear include fatigue, clinical depression, and PTSD. All right, like this fear. Fear, it's good in the short term. You live with this, it's not good. All right, why does this matter? Well, Elijah was just afraid of this situation. Yeah, but it seems like he let it sink in on him for longer than it should have. As you read through this story, there's something that is driving him to continue to move. And actually, after going all the way down to Beersheba and then, and then traveling another day's journey, then after this encounter with God, he actually moves all the way down to Mount Sinai, which if you look at a map, it, it is an incredibly long distance uh, that he's moving. Like something seems to be keeping him moving with that. All right. Uh, and regardless of, of like what this did to him, we are bringing this back to mental health in general. And you can see what role fear can play on our mental health. For people who are living with anxiety in their lives, it often can revolve around fear. Not always, okay? I'm going to try not to paint things with a broad brush. I know that can be, that can be hurtful. All right, but I, I, at times I need to be able to kind of generalize certain things here. And, um, so it, it can either stem from fear, anxiety can, or anxiety can turn into and begin to manifest like different fears. And part of why I think this matters, all right, follow, follow me on this. Every single person in the world is living their life with some narrative or we'll say worldview. Like each one of us. We live our life with a certain outlook on the world. Okay, and that outlook kind of drives us. The reality is, though, the narrative that we live our life off of is influenced by the world around us. All right, now hopefully as Jesus followers, like the main narrative is that we are following the gospel, what Jesus has done, and how he has called us to live. But you and I are not immune to the world around us. You and I are not immune to the relationships we have. And they begin to impact us. All right, and, and we, we let certain people speak into our lives, and we listen to certain news stations, all right, and, and the podcasts or books that you're reading, talk shows that you listen to, all of these shape the narrative, the worldview, the outlook that is happening in our life, and the thing that pushes us, all right, or almost like what we would say is the true story of the world around us. Unfortunately for many people, the narrative that they are allowing to guide their thoughts is fear-based. It is fear-based. All right, is the fear of what could happen in your life. What could happen to your family. Uh, what happens if the other political party gets in charge. What happens if the wrong person's in charge and they're evil and they do this. Like, we allow these fears to kind of drive us. All right, you know what I'm talking about? You understand this? Like, and, and fear is a massive motivator. So people use it. Employers will use it. 
if you don't do this, this is going to happen. You're going to lose your job. Or this, like, there, there are times where fear is a motivator that people use. Politicians use it all the time. Like, it used to be you would talk about what, like, you're for. Now it's just, if they get in charge, this is what's going to happen. It's, it's all fear-based. Everything going on around that is fear-based. And what we unknowingly do is we begin to live in a constant state of fear. It permeates our thinking in almost every area. What if the stock market crashes? What if I lose my job? What if this happens to my family? Now, understand, like, we will have trouble. Jesus promised it. All right, bad things will happen. Things will go wrong. You cannot stop that. But Jesus came and, and he defeated the ultimate evil of, of death. And he showed us that there's something so much greater than just the here and now and that that's available to us. We are not supposed to live in a place of fear. Fear is a place of defeat, and we have victory, not in us, but in him. All right, so even when bad things happen, we realize that we aren't defeated by that. Like, we might lose a battle, but we know who wins the war. And let me tell you this. If the narrative you are living your life by right now is fear-based, it is not biblical. It's not biblical. That's not how we are called to live. If you are constantly worried about what is going on to happen, what is going on, or what's going to happen to the people uh, around you, or, or if people are in power, like this is not a thought from God because He isn't worried about that. He just isn't. All right. So if you're taking notes, a life driven by fear will not drive you closer to God. A life driven by fear will not drive you closer to God. It may feel like it is because you might say, "Well, yeah, like I, I'm scared," but you know what? You know what that's doing? It's making me pray all the time. I'm praying more than, more than anybody else because of that. Well, yeah, but is your prayer about growing closer to God? Or is God just basically another person for you to vent all of your fears to? And when you pray, are you actually praying to, to grow in that relationship? Or are you praying purely because you don't want bad things to happen? You might be praying, but that's not necessarily a healthy approach to prayer. That's not what prayer is supposed to be. I want to rattle off a few verses here, and some of these, they are out of context. I'm grabbing verses. But all together, I think when we look at all these verses, it should give us a snapshot of the Bible as a whole, okay? And what God is, like, speaking to us and how we are to live our life. Okay, you ready? Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust you and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Jesus says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? 
All right, and these verses, these, these are pulled from Old Testament, New Testament, from Jesus' teachings, from letters to the churches, from psalms and songs that were written. Like, can we see a theme here? Can we see a theme? Now, these were to specific people, but when we look at Scripture all the way through, we see this theme. Now, real quickly, because I want to get to our second one here today, and I'm going to go through that one faster, I promise, all right? I'm not saying here are a bunch of verses about not being afraid, just trust God more and get over it. That's not at all what I'm saying. I understand for some of us, like, this is a very real thing, and we are living with this every single day. And maybe it's even something that you're like, I know I have this problem. You don't need to tell me that. I'm trying to work through this. I'm trying to figure this out. Like, I don't want to oversimplify this. But again, we are, we are talking about that dot that moves us up and down, the things in our life throughout the day that impact our mental health, that make it healthier or less healthy. All right? And living in a place of fear absolutely impacts your mental health. All right? Absolutely impacts that. The sermons over the next few weeks are, are not meant to fix anyone. They're not meant to give you simple little answers to apply to our life at the end of the service and everything is great, okay? What we are doing here is this. We, we are trying to help us better understand why we might be in the spot that we're in. Why it is that our mental health has been declining. And, and like I said, if you were here last week, it's that little dot that's moving, okay? What I want for us is this. Maybe you're realizing or you, or you already know that fear's an issue. All right? You're allowing it or, or someone or something to tell you that there's a threat when there isn't. And fear in that moment is different than this constant state of it. Here's what we need to do. Check your intake. What are you allowing in? What is impacting your view on this world, your, your narrative, your worldview? Is it something that you can maybe talk through with somebody? What is causing that fear? Like, can you sit down with a friend and have conversations about this? Or maybe with, with a family member or a pastor or a professional you probably know where you're at in this. Don't be ashamed of this if this is you. Instead, start to take some steps away from that. First step is talking about it with someone. All right, naming what it is that you're afraid of, what it is that's kind of driving that. And maybe you can't name it. You're like, I don't know. I'm just in this state all the time. All right, verse three. We're gonna move on here. The second thing. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. Elijah went to Beersheba, left his servant there, and then traveled further alone. Here's the second thing hurting Elijah, uh, and this was something that he kind of chose in this moment. Isolation. In one of his hardest moments, when things were falling in around him, instead of keeping someone with him who could speak life, and instead of him going and finding trusted friends, he isolated himself. He pulled away. We are communal beings. Like, we were created for community. Doesn't matter if you're extroverted or introverted. We talked about this about a month ago. You still need connection, and you need community. All right, I was reading through an article on the American Psychological Association's website, uh, and, and there was cited different studies on isolation and loneliness. And it's, uh, it is very apparent that, that the lack of social connection has negative effects on your physical and mental health. They actually said this. This was, I found this crazy. Uh, it, loneliness it heightens health risks as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or having alcohol use disorder. 
They also found that loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful to physical and mental health as obesity. So things that our whole world sits there and says, yep, we know that that maybe isn't the best thing for me. I know that's kind of hurting my physical health. Loneliness, something we probably don't put in that category very often, has the same or even greater effect on us. Social isolation is a, like Elijah chose to isolate himself. And aloneness, understand this, aloneness doesn't automatically mean loneliness. There are times that we can be alone. Social isolation is a lack of social connections. That's essentially what Elijah is choosing here in this moment. And social isolation can often uh, then lead to feelings of loneliness. And loneliness is difficult because it can persist even once you're kind of back around other people. Loneliness is the feeling of being alone regardless of the amount of social contact you have. All right? Some of you are sitting in this room right now and you feel lonely. It doesn't matter that you're in a room with a hundred other people. You feel lonely right now. Because you don't truly have interactions that are satisfying that, that are going on. And that's, we usually try and say, and I I realize this can make it worse for some people, we're like, try and stick around, try and talk, try and engage with people. The problem is, if you're feeling lonely, and then you kind of put yourself out there and you try something, and it doesn't really seem to work, it's like, well, great, now I feel even more alone. The studies on loneliness show that this can be Especially true for first-generation immigrants. I was reading through uh, compilations of some studies on Latino immigrants and how they can be more likely to feel loneliness because of language barriers and cultural differences. You can be surrounded by people and not feel connected to them. We need to realize that in our community here, we probably have a greater rate of loneliness than in the next town over. We have different communities, different cultures that are coming together, different languages. And if we aren't careful, those can separate us and cause us to feel even more alone. Being connected to others socially is widely considered a fundamental human need, crucial to both well-being and survival. And yet so often when life begins to get hard, we retreat, we pull away, we stop spending time with people. We don't make the phone calls that we know we should make. Like I said, just a few weeks ago, we we had a message we talked about. It was just called community. We need community. Genesis chapter 2, God creates man, and then he says this line, and you've probably heard it at a wedding. It isn't good for man to be alone. From the beginning, God recognized this, and he did something about it. It doesn't make sense then that the enemy would try and pull us away and isolate us. When I'm feeling crummy, I know for me personally, it is so natural for me to pull away. Even when I know I shouldn't. doesn't matter that I know I shouldn't. It's so natural to pull away. Say, no, I, I don't want to go and do that. I don't want to go and do this. I don't want to go where I know, my mind knows, like, that's what I need. That's what's healthy. And yet I find myself pulling away. We need others. We need friends. We need people that are, are, we are connected to. Ecclesiastes says this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. 
community. We need each other. Love, encouragement, correction, affirmation, and teaching cannot happen outside of community. Think about each one of those words. Each one of those words are important. They cannot be done alone. They can't. You have to have connection with somebody else. The great commandment and the great commission cannot happen in isolation. The great commandment of loving other people, like we can't do that alone. The great commission of going and, and making disciples, it can't be done alone. Like this is all communal things. God created us to be in community. Almost everything Paul says in his letters, it, it has to do with living in community. Lots of times he's correcting it because community is hard. And that's why we often pull back. Community's hard. Relationships are hard. But we are going to spend eternity in community. That's God's plan for us. We need to move there. In many of the studies on isolation, they kept citing how people, specifically from older generations, when they were involved in choirs or church groups, like that's kind of the words they kept using, it always elevates their mental health. All right, now I love this because that study, it, it, lists, it lists it with other social things, right? Like you're in a, a, a pinochle group or something where you play cards or I'm in a bowling league. But I think we know that when we talk about them being involved in a faith community, that there's something more that is going on there. There's spiritual community, that that is incredibly important. We need this. We are made for this. Don't neglect this, okay? Again, my goal today isn't, uh, isn't to get up here and, and yell at us and say, stop being afraid and stop isolating yourself. Um, you know, now that I said that, everything should be fixed. Like, that's not how this works. But sometimes we might just need to be reminded of the things that we already know. And as I'm talking, what, what I am relying on here is that my little basic words here aren't what's happening in this room. But that as I'm talking, that God is laying things on your heart. Because what he has to say is way more important than what I do. What I'm trying to do is basically lay the, the, the foundation and the groundwork for God to be speaking to each one of us individually because this is so individualized. Each one of us deal with this in a different way. All right? A little while ago, we talked about mental health, and uh, I actually concluded our message of that one interviewing my therapist, uh, if you were here for that. And we sat down and we talked about, like, okay, what do you wish we knew? What do you wish the church was doing different? Like, how can we do these things? Well, well, we were doing that here in Long Prairie and Sox Center, and I, I didn't ask you this, and I, I'm sorry, but I know you were up on stage, so you're not going to really care here, because everyone can go watch this. But Michelle from our church was actually being interviewed by Pastor Kyle. Um, and one of the things, like, we, because she just, she's dealt with different things in her life, and it was a great thing for people to be like, okay, someone I know who's willing to be transparent and vulnerable right now is kind of like letting me in on what is going on. And I remember beforehand, Kyle and I had sat down and we were talking with Michelle and she had said this amazing thing. I'm probably going to butcher some of this, but basically one of the things that she was taught is when I am in a healthy place, when I'm in a good place, I make a plan. What was it called? It had a specific name. Wellness Recovery Action Plan. Wrap Plan. And she had made this, this whole plan, like this is something that was like, this is homework that she, she was going to go and do. And essentially the idea is when you're healthy, you make a plan for when you're not healthy. How many of you guys have ever been in a spot where you aren't healthy and you're like, that's not the time to make the plan. 
That's not the time to try and figure things out. Okay? Uh, like you make a plan when you're in a good place. I think for some of us, as we talk through this, maybe you're in a good place now. And you're like, I need to make a plan because I know this is coming. Emily and I talk about this. Winter has always been harder on me. And a couple years ago, I would had a really rough winter with my mental health. And ever since then, as we're going through the fall here, we start to talk about this, and we need to do this now. We need to have this conversation of, like, what are we putting on the calendar? What are we planning? What are we having this winter so that I know that we have these moments that are going to make things a little bit better? You need to be able to make a plan. My hope is that as we dissect this story of Elijah, we can begin to see how it relates to our lives. And hopefully we can begin to change pieces of our life that, have, that we actually have control over. And we can become a little healthier. And then if we have pieces of our mental health that we don't necessarily have control over, hopefully the changes that we make can set us up for success in those areas as well. Fear and isolation both create fertile soil for anxiety and depression to set in, to take hold, and to wreak havoc on our lives. Both of these two things will cause the state of our mental health to decline. And for someone who's dealing with a mental health disorder, both of these things will impact you even greater. And that's just kind of the tip of all the things that can push us into the unhealthiness. And as this happens mentally, we will begin to struggle physically and especially spiritually as well. We need to care about our mental health and the mental health of the people around us, all right? These are just two of the factors, all right? This story is going to keep going. It has more, all right? Um, and, and we want to do this because I think often it's easy for us to enter into like this cave like Elijah did. You don't know where you are, you don't know how to get out, and you can't even see the light anymore. That's what begins to happen. And, and we need to have a plan, we need to have some people around us, we need to have things in place that we can try and stay in a healthier place, move in a healthier direction. Let's do this. Can we stand together? Last week, we had made the strong case that our, that our mental health and physical health are linked together. Uh, and really, all the data that we've talked about would completely agree with that. Um, all the research that we've looked at, like, it, it, would, it would agree with that. And when we are struggling with our mental health, it often seems that these two, our, me our mental and physical health, kind of fight over who gets to be in the driver's seat. Right? Your mental health says, I need to get out of bed. Your physical health says, I feel like I need more sleep. I just can't do it. I just can't get out. And these two are fighting over who's in the driver's seat. Right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt this before in different things? But I think what, what we need to do, what we need to realize is that neither of these should be in the driver's seat. Because we also said that as believers, we believe that our spiritual life is tied together with them. And the reality is we need to allow this spiritual part of us to be driving our life. When a situation comes up, we don't stop and, and react to it from a physical place. We don't react to it from an emotional place. We instead allow the Holy Spirit to guide us as we respond. Because honestly, like we can't always react the right way. Like there are times where you just aren't going to if you try and do it yourself. Instead, what we need is we need God reacting to that situation through us. We need God working through us because in our own strength, in our own mind, in whatever it is, we cannot do that. I want to end with us doing this. Um, 
and this may seem a, a little weird, maybe it's your first time here, we're just going to do this. Why don't we you just close your eyes. I want you to take your hands and just put them out in front of you. Okay, just open. And I want us to take a moment here and just kind of symbolically, symbolically just say, okay, what are the things in my life that right now are maybe causing fear? They're causing me to pull away. Or things that in the past and probably in the future will do this. And I want us to just kind of right now put those into your hand in front of you. And we're just going to say, God, I, I need you. I need you to take this space. As I remove this from my life, I need you to fill that space. And this doesn't mean that everything is completely gone and, and you're going to walk out of here and everything's perfect. Maybe. Maybe that'd be amazing. But maybe today is just the start of this process of you beginning to say, okay, I need to pinpoint the things in my life that are unhealthy and I need to begin to systematically remove them from my life. And maybe you need to be thinking right now, who is going to walk with you on this journey? Is there a close friend? Significant other? Do you need a pastor to walk through this with you? Maybe you're at a spot where you're saying, you know, I've tried those things. It hasn't worked. I'd say, you know what? I would say find someone who is a professional in this area because they are going to have tools and resources that your friends and, and I don't have. And they are going to set you up for success. And that's not something to be ashamed of. God, right now, I pray over every single person in this room, every single set of hands that is out in front of them right now. God, the things that we have symbolically placed in those hands and said, God, this, this is yours. I, I need to stop. I need to stop going back to this. I need to stop allowing this to kind of run different areas of my mind. God, I pray that we would find uh, ways this week, Lord, that we would dig into this and we would find ways to just practically begin to move into a place of healthiness. I think right now, I, I, I just feel like this is, that God is just kind of putting this on my heart, that there are some of us in this room that we've tried this before, we've tried to get our mental health in a good place, and you're saying, I'm willing to do this, I want to do this, it just doesn't happen. And I feel like what God's saying right now is this. You need to get your spiritual life into a healthy place because that is going to help order everything else. Now again, what I'm not saying here is that just because you're struggling with things in your mental health, that that automatically means that spiritually somehow you are less or, or inferior. I'm not saying that. But I do feel like there are some of us in the room where we have tried this, and the reality is we're trying it in our own strength. And instead, we need to let go of that, and we need to just trust God. We need to trust the Holy Spirit to be the one to deal with this. Jesus, I pray that we would, we would take these steps this week, Lord, that we would see this in people around us, that we would be there, that we would be part of the community for our friends and the people around us that, that need that. God, that when our friend is beginning to pull back, that we just, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that's okay. Instead, we'd go and we would love, we would encourage, we would be there for them, not yell at them, but just say, hey, what is it that I can do? How can I help? How can I encourage you?
God, give us patience and grace as we walk through these things. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. If you want to talk with somebody this week more about this, and you're like, I don't have anybody in my life that I can, or you don't know where to go, uh, please contact the church. We'd love to sit down and talk with you, uh, and we'd love to point you in the right direction. Uh, if it's not us and anything like that, like this is something we need other people to help us as we walk through this. So thank you guys for being here today. Um, we'll see you next week.